This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast is powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. I'm Lee Llewellyn. Today I'm talking with Scott Rudd, Director of Broadband Opportunities with the Office of Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. The fact that Scott's position exists within the Lieutenant Governor's Office is a testament to the importance of deploying broadband to unserved areas of the state. But before we actually begin our conversation, I just want to acknowledge and congratulate Scott on his appointment to the Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee of the Federal Communications Commission. I think that appointment uh, further helps to position Indiana to be a part of that broadband discussion. And, and frankly, uh, congratulations to you, Scott, and glad that you're there representing the state of Indiana. Uh, so let's start by talking about uh, you know, why, why broadband is even so important to economic development, but, but more importantly, you know, why is there a focus of the Holcomb administration on uh, rural broadband? Well, thanks for having me, Lee. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to all your members. Uh, I'm uh, one of your own in a prior capacity as economic development director and town manager in the town of Nashville. I'm currently a rural resident living in a 100% rural community, and I hear constantly about the daily challenges in, in rural communities with a lack of access. I you know, live near a library. I see people parked in those lots after hours accessing broadband. It's happening. and. You know, arguably the most pressing issues um, of, for those who lack broadband are, are those with health care issues. They have homes with students with a one-to-one -one tablet policy and e-learning days, businesses and telecommuters trying to work from home, you know, agricultural operations trying to utilize technology, a realtor trying to sell a home. It's hard to imagine an issue that is so pervasively affecting so many of our residents in rural areas in so many ways. It's, it, it's really just a, 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 a key piece of living in any community, whether it's rural or urban, is, is, is broadband access. And so, you know, many people will talk about uh, in these rural areas how we, you know, a lot of the folks don't need broadband or don't want it. And, and, and I would submit that, you know, as one example, you know, take a grandparent caring for their grandchildren and who may be affected by an opioid crisis situation. That grandparent now knows they need broadband and they know that those children who are already at a disadvantage in life are going to be even more at a disadvantage if we don't get them at least an equal access to education, which means they need broadband. So it's an issue that affects um, almost every single person in a rural community. And the important part that, that hasn't been completely flushed out yet that I'm very interested in is, is how do these rural areas support the urban workforce? And there was a fascinating study that just came out yesterday in Rushville about a Rush County study that surveyed residents across the county and asked the one question I'm most interested in was, if you had broadband at home, could you telecommute? 62% of the population that was surveyed said they could telecommute if they had the access. And so imagine extrapolating that workforce population in rural Indiana across the state. If, if 60, 50% of that population could all of a sudden 
telecommute and support those high-tech industries in some of the larger cities, what a, what a game changer, right? So it's an issue that affects so many areas. I didn't mention public safety. That's a key piece of this. And so, you know, the Holcomb administration has just been absolutely incredible from my perspective as, as, a, as a longtime rural resident and, and still a rural resident and how they've attacked this issue and, and, and fearlessly drove forward in the, on behalf of rural residents. So I know this is, <clears throat> and, and probably anything you say next is not going to be a surprise to, to, to many of the people who will be listening to this podcast, but what is the current state of broadband deployment in the state of Indiana and certainly in our rural areas? Sure. Well, uh, you know, in, in Indiana we have, I think we're ranked 35th in the nation out of 50 states, so we're a little bit below average uh, in terms of access to 25.3 uh, that's 25 megabytes per second download speed, 10 me uh, 3 megabytes per second upload speed. We're 35th in the nation out of 50. So under underperforming, I would say. I will say that uh, you know lots of incredible activities and, and and policies and legislation have been passed as of the you know over the past few years by the governor, legislature, and some agencies to to really streamline and begin to open the flow of investment to these areas and, and we can get we'll get into some of those specifics a little bit later but um, yeah we, we've got some work to do and you know rural Indiana residents and hearing from them every day and businesses you know they know better than anyone we have an issue and and uh, this administration the, the interesting part over the last few years is we've seen this conversation go from should we do something about this issue of rural broadband access? We've seen it go from that to the conversation of, we have an issue, how quickly can we get this thing done and what can we do to solve the problem? And that's, that's from the governor's office all the way down through the legislature, these local communities now engaging on this issue heavily. So uh, the conversation's changed. We are aligning our resources. Our leadership is getting on board and, and, and from top to bottom. Even I left out the federal government, lots of activity there. So um, there's hope on the horizon. So it, it's always characterized a little bit as a market problem. Uh, so what can the state do about that, and, and what are you doing, uh, at least in just some general terms before we get into some of the funding streams or some other things? Sure. You know, one of the things to note is that the way we currently know where broadband is and where broadband isn't is based on information provided by the providers to the FCC and the FCC collects that data and puts it out to the to the general public for consumption. There was a report recently released, the 2018 FCC Broadband Deployment Report that has some new information on it. It's actually county by county information and uh, that information is overstated and that's been confirmed by the FCC. It's been confirmed by the IURC in a October 2018 report on broadband. That's the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, that's right? Right. Uh -huh. That's right. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's well known that this information is overstated. And so, uh, you know, how do we overcome that? It's a massive challenge. I can so it's overstated. And I think, again, I think this is becoming a little bit more common knowledge. But go back and explain why that's overstated because I mean there's an anomaly in the way in which those data are reported right that's right and so the way that data is the way the FCC currently asks providers to submit their data is to submit the maximum advertised speed per census block for any service they provide throughout Indiana 
And so if, if a local provider provides world-class fiber speed to one resident or business in a census block, that entire census block is then assumed to be uh, to have access to that to that same service and so that assumption is not a safe assumption we've learned and, and it does overstate the access and and can quite frankly prevent investment in that area if we don't get a more granular detailed perspective on where the service is and isn't and and I'm, and I know because we've certainly been involved in these conversations for a number of years but but getting that more granular level of information is I mean it's very hard and it's very expensive well, and part of the challenge is, you know, this is proprietary information. Yeah. This, this is, this is uh, information at the customer level, address level, and, and speed and technology-based information that is, you know, proprietary to the company that's providing that service. And so, in other words, it, it's, like, it's kind of like asking a bank to give us all of their customers, uh, a list of their customers, what loans they have, and what interest rate they have. You know, we just don't do that, and, and, it, and that's very protected information. So uh, at the end of the day, we've got to figure out a way to make this happen, and, and I know the FCC is actively working on a solution here. There are several bills at the federal level that are targeting this. Lots of stakeholders engaged and commenting on this. It's, it's a big issue. It's bigger than Indiana, but, you know, through my FCC broadband deployment uh, appointment, I think I can have a voice in that and, and hope to in some way to improve our situation in Indiana. Something the state is doing, I think, and, and, and some county, uh, the National Association of Counties is doing, I think it's very helpful. Okra on their webpage has a site where community, uh, community residents can, can go on and actually run a speed test. And that data can be collected over time and is being collected uh, that will help us understand the more granular lever, level of that access. The National Association of Counties also recently released a speed test site and there's some fascinating information out there from a gentleman named Roberto Gallardo from Purdue, who's a really a, a nationally renowned data researcher on the broadband topic. And he's actually combined the Microsoft MLAB speed test from across the nation with some of this county data and is now revealing some average tests in, in counties. So I would encourage uh, listeners to, to go and, and check out what Roberto has done there. It's a really, really helpful document. So it seems as though up to this point we've we've been a little bit negative talking about what we don't have. So let's kind of spend the rest of the time now really talking about some some positive things. And the first thing I think that we can uh, talk about is that there are a number of funding programs through the state and federal governments uh, that are being deployed. So uh, maybe briefly just talk about what some of those are and, and are, are wondering if some of them are already deployed and tapped out, but, but, but what should people have on the radar screen in terms of some funding opportunities? Well, I can tell you without a doubt there's never been a better time to attract broadband investment in Indiana. I can tell you uh, sitting in my position a year ago in a prior role, we really surveyed the, the, land, the funding landscape, federal, state, and local landscape, and, and really found a desert there. We, we were, we'd already taken advantage of something called E-rate funds to connect schools, um, it, but it was that last mile that we were struggling with. And so the resources we were able to find were far and few between, if not nil. And so fast forwarding 12 months to today, and Governor Holcomb has $100 million on the table for rural broadband. We're just wrapping up, I'm sorry, OCRA is just wrapping up the uh, grant uh, review process and we should have something by uh, the early August on that. Um, and so there's $100 million there. OCRA also has a 
a broadband pilot planning grant out there, a broadband readiness planning grant. Five communities have taken part in that, and are, those studies are underway. My understanding is there may be another round coming this fall for additional communities. Um, so some great resources there in addition to the USDA Reconnect Fund, which has $600 million uh, nationwide for uh, grants, grant loan combinations, and just simple uh, loans that are, are available. Those rounds are kind of uh, continuing as we speak. So more resources than ever. I, I, you know, my position being created is a, is a really important thing that, that uh, will be able to, to kind of oversee the overall broadband approach, and not just in the deployment side of things, but also on the adoption and digital literacy side of things, which is, is equally important, if not even more important in some of these areas. So it's an incredible time. You know, I didn't mention the all of the fantastic legislative actions that have taken place over the past three to four years from allowing REMCs to participate in the game with the, a fiber act through the legislature and signed by the governor, um, the, uh, the broadband grant program being authorized, on and on and on. We are seeing, you know, our legislators and our, our administration provide a leadership role that is placing Indiana at the front of the pack in terms of being the, one of the most attractive states in the nation. We want to continue that. Well, that's good to hear, and I think that's, that's encouraging, and thanks for, for going down through the list. So I'd like to spend uh, most of the rest of the time really focusing on, I, I've heard you talk about this and in, in, in our recent webinar on broadband, uh, you talked about the seven things that communities can do to prepare themselves and, and, and try to attract broadband. So I'm going to start by listing those, and then it, we'll go back through them one at a time and, and let you dig into them with some detail. But those seven things uh, are uh, forming a broadband task group. That's number one. Number two, uh, using economic development methods. Number three is a broadband ready, ready community designation. Uh, number four, infrastructure development zone. Uh, number five, open right-of-ways, towers, and public buildings. Um, I hope I'm keeping count right here. Uh, number five, uh, provide scholarships for families uh, to provide access to broadband. Number six, digital readiness and adoption. No, I didn't. I didn't get them counted right. So that was number seven. I knew I, get, I knew I would get this <laughs> off somewhere. There were seven in there somewhere. Uh, so so let's ignore that and sure. just get back here. And so let's start with um, how does a community or what should a a, a community based like a broadband task group consist of so going back to my prior role we, we when we recognized there was a problem we started to look at the resources and assets that we had and who was responsible and wh who was going to tackle the broadband issue and and we realized that literally no one in our government had this responsibility on their plate and and was pursuing it like, like we needed we needed uh, it to be pursued. And so we convened, I convened a task force uh, in Brown County that was comprised of, you know, a commissioner, a redevelopment commission president, a highway superintendent, a school superintendent, IT directors, community foundation CEO, Farm Bureau, uh, a regulatory expert who was a retired uh, person in our community, uh, and a business and, and others have included hospitals and such. But basically what we wanted to do was place the responsibility somewhere and have that group lead the charge and and drive uh, the attraction process forward. And so that's step one is who's responsible? Who is working on this? And do they have the resources and the assets they need? And I can tell you, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. We literally had nothing. 
in terms of financial uh, uh, resources, and that was okay. It, it actually helped us focus on the other things that we could do that would, would not include money, but just include simple policy changes or basically getting out of our own way. We realized that we were taxing broadband investment, for, for example. We'll talk a little bit later about that, but this, this group is really essential if a county doesn't have someone responsible for this already in, in uh, convening these leaders, conveying information to a couple key audiences, really. You've got uh, providers being at almost the top of that list. These, these need to be the best friends of these task forces and communities because, as we all know, capital goes where capital is welcome. And so the primary role of this task force is to welcome these providers who have invested millions of dollars in their communities over years and who we want to invest millions more. And so making them welcome, and, and I've heard one provider call it a, you know, they want a big bear hug when they come to a community. They want to, they want to feel welcomed. And, and a lot of times communities get off track, and, and ours is, it was, was one of those communities. Some of our residents felt like, um, you know, large providers should provide the same speed to everyone where they provided service and you know that's that's just what we came to is that's just an unrealistic expectation because these are businesses and, and they make investment decisions based on the return and so I give the example of you know that's like kind of asking a bank to provide a loan to everyone in town regardless of their ability to pay uh, or their credit worthiness and so that's just, it's just not how it happens and so once we understood that we shifted from that kind of approach, which was more of a public utility approach. A lot of communities, particularly cities and towns who have water and wastewater utilities, are used to thinking in that way. And that's how we were thinking is, okay, we have, they have an area, we have an area, we serve everyone in it, why can't they do that? Well, it's very different from that. It's actually an economic development issue. It's just like any major attraction opportunity. Like we, we actually compared in my prior role our attraction of broadband investment to, to similar to attracting a Honda. Because for our community, we were small, we were rural, we're tourism-based in Brown County, not a lot of big manufacturing. And so we wanted to focus on quality of life and, and supporting that. And, and so it was, it was essentially like our Honda when we landed a major investment there. So, so treating this like, a broad, like an economic development attraction opportunity or retention opportunity is, is really, and the good news there is your folks know how to do that better than anyone in the state. They do it every single day. We just got to get get this back in that track, and that's what the task force can do. So, so you've already alluded to that. So, when you talk about uh, number two, uh, what does it mean to use economic development methods? So, when you say treat it like an economic development project, um, yes, our folks know how to do that, but maybe not as it relates to uh, attracting a broadband service provider. So, so. What does that mean? It's a unique challenge and <clears throat> an opportunity. I, you know, one of the one of the most creative ways that that I think uh, I've seen this happen is, in, a, in an interesting suggestion for those uh, listening, is utilities, water, wastewater, and I would throw you know highways and streets into this into this bucket could play a major role uh, in in helping to deploy this type of an infrastructure. And so one of the things we did was uh, we convened a, a Brown County Utility Forum, and that was sponsored by a major provider, a, p a power provider. We invited gas, water, electric, sewer, um, uh, tele you know, telecommunications, broadband, um, all of the utilities together on a Friday over lunch that, that was sponsored and had a speaker speak about easements. And 
for utilities, if, if for all the folks who are involved in those out there, they, they you know that you, easements are very important to utilities. It's it's a critical piece of what we do. And so as I was driving into uh, uh, town today, I still live in Brown County, I noticed a, a major utility expansion on, along a state highway, and it was an open trench and a water line, water main was being extended. And so we were in the middle of this process of, of attracting investment, and we realized that we currently had 15 miles of funded water main expansion projects through rural areas, very rural areas that were going to include service drops to the home, funded and ready to begin construction. And we said, these people may never get another chance to have broadband brought to their home. This might be the key. We went to the water companies. Our own water company was one of those uh, making an investment. And we said, hey, can, why can't we do this? How do we make this work? We looked at our easements and realized none of us had authorized broadband to be in that open trench. Hmm. We've got to change that scenario. There's a huge opportunity there when we acquire right-of-ways, utility easements of any sort. Uh, and that's one of the things I want to tackle. Uh, coming up next, I'll talk about a statewide strategy that we're working on is, is providing that language to utilities. We were a small utility. We didn't have an engineer on staff. We didn't have, you know, we were th 15,000 people in the entire county, right? We don't have those kind of resources, and many other rural communities don't. So I want to find a way to provide a best practice like co-locating conduit in an open trench provide some easement language that could be used by all the utilities to to kind of get to that point and so um, using economic development uh, methods really just means doing what you do every day but it is different it is different and uh, there are lots of complicated regulatory issues that that may be challenging but the same core core uh, kind of approaches um, remain the same and that is it's much easier to retain someone who's already in the community and and help them grow than it is to attract a new investor from the outside in most cases. But the key, as always, is building those relationships with providers. Uh, our, one of our next issues is the broadband ready community designation that we'll talk about. And, and that's a great way to open the door to providers. And for us, in our prior role, we had virtually no relationships with providers mm -hmm. as a small community. When we passed the broadband ready community designation, we targeted the message to those providers and said, Nashville Brown County is open for business. We want to hear from you. We want your investment. We're, we're here to help you. And so, you know, communicating with them in, the, in some of those similar ways and asking the questions, you know, where are you currently in our community? Would you, where would you like to expand to? And most importantly, how can we help you do that? Uh, it's just a very simple way to have these conversations with providers. So uh, Jackson County, I think, passed an abatement uh, for an REMC building, which is more of a traditional type of economic development incentive that we see. It's hard to make those incentives, those typical incentives that we use as economic development folks work for this type of attraction opportunity because it's very different. In many cases, it's not four walls with 20 people working inside of it. It's a spider web of communications equipment spread across the county, literally, hopefully, to every single home. It's different. But I would submit it can be even more important than any of those other attractions that we are, we are pursuing. It is absolutely critical. So how do we change the way we think about that and try to make some things work? I would encourage people to try things no one's ever tried before. That's what we did. We did a couple things no one had ever done. We landed some some Hail Marys, if you will, and, and so don't be afraid to go out there and, and try something new and, and because that's quite frankly it's gonna take some seriously innovative people to, to, to really move the needle on this. So broadband ready community, what is that and who decides that you are a broadband ready community? 
So the Indiana Economic Development Corporation uh, uh, manages this program. It was passed, I think, in 2014. Uh, our senator, actually, Senator Cook, uh, passed that, uh, was sponsored that bill. And, and basically what it says is you'll create a single point of contact in a community. You will expedite permits. Uh, Ten days, you'll turn around a permit request, waive the fee for that permit. Uh, and, and not put any moratoriums on place. And I think the message to send there, and this is kind of a, a great first step for some of these, these task forces, because it it's actually can be fairly simple to get this through. There's a, there's a template online where you know, IEDC provides a sample template. You can literally unplug the county and plug yours in, and, and you have an ordinance ready. Uh, but the message there, and maybe the key part of this, is to couple that with a, with a, a press release and some communication planning so that the particular audiences you're trying to reach, I mentioned providers, you want them to get that message, but you also want to get your residents um, on board with what you're doing and that there is hope and that you are taking action and that they can play a role in that by talking with neighbors uh, about adopting that service if an investment comes available. So it's a great PR uh, first step to attract attention to what you're doing and, and start to mobilize some resources. So I since have numbered all of my points here, so I can now say that this is point number four. Uh, so what is an infrastructure development zone? So 2014 Senate Enrolled Act 560 was passed. It's the infrastructure development zone bill that basically says, I think it includes gas and electric and broadband, but it says that the county executive body can hold a public hearing, and after holding that public hearing, determine that a an infrastructure in this case broadband is lacking in a certain area and if after finding that they decide to do this they can exempt that the taxation of that infrastructure in whatever format they see fit i know morgan monroe brown owen and park counties have exempted taxes on future investment in broadband to the home public building or business in perpetuity Yes, you heard that right, in perpetuity. This is not a 10-year sliding typical abatement that we would see. It's, it's a forever thing. And, and some of these communities said if you if, – this is for new investment. In many of these cases, the county said for new investment, if you do this within X number of years, we will, we will, we will pass the exemption. And if you wait until after that, you lose it forever. And so it's a way to kind of expedite that mm -hmm. deployment, it's create a sense of urgency, and offer something up, albeit small. I think a, a $20 million investment in Brown County, it's assessed at the personal property tax or the property tax rate. I think we were looking at a thirty to $50,000 savings per year to the, to the, to the, in our case, an REMC, two REMCs who had requested that uh, attached to a specific investment. Okay. Uh, so uh, this is obviously a little bit different. So this is the well, fifth point. Could I, before you go well, on sure, there, fine. there's an interesting story here. You know, <clears throat> this, this, you know, we deal with a lot of challenges in, in my community where I still live. And I know, you know, a lot of rural communities struggle with growth. And some people aren't in favor of growth. They don't want things in their backyards. And we see the residents stand up against those things. This is very different. And what we realized, and particularly in when we held this public hearing, the room was packed with standing room only. And typically, as an elected official, when you see a packed room, it's not going to be a good night. Uh, but in this <laughs> case, in this case, people, we were screaming from the rooftops that they wanted this to happen. 
and there was a groundswell of interest and support and even those who were the typical against everything were, were even getting on board and so keep that in mind as you move forward and 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 i would suggest there may be a an opportunity here to to move in a little different way maybe a more uh expeditious way to to pursue some of these investments than we're typically used to to seeing due to that heavy public support so keep that in mind okay so uh number five open right-of-ways towers public buildings um how is that different than than uh, easements sure it's it's a little different because you know water towers for example i mean it's it's similar but you know the idea here is to evaluate what resources that a community has to bring to bear on a, on this investment and you know when i say towers yeah, that could be a water tower it could be a public safety tower for uh, local communications it could be a silo a grain silo it could be uh, you could you could have access to a county bridge you could have access to a water and wastewater easement as we mentioned before but uh, you know this is just one more creative way to open up resources that quite frankly don't cost you any money and in some cases you can even make money off of these things if if you needed to and so it, it's a it's a it, it also sends the message that we're open for business you know we're willing to bring our resources to bear and and notice none of these include financial really investments well, so far and i would think though the way with some of the things you just talked about part of it is cataloging assets that could be deployed so again it's probably knowing i mean again whether it's water i would never have thought about a grain silo so it's being a little bit creative in terms of thinking about and cataloging and identifying those assets that could be deployed and and i would guess that probably in, in the case in some of the cases you know is making sure that that you have prepared for that and that you're able to offer that to a provider who would come in as part of the part of the community assets that's exactly right we were you know in a, an interesting situation in brown county where there was the perception that there was there was really no county right away outside the edge of the pavement so we were under the perception that from the edge of the pavement to the edge of the pavement was the county's right away well when a provider approached us and said, look, we, we don't know if we're going to be able to do this without some right-of-way. It's just too important. Um, we went back and researched that issue and found that there were actually some 1950 Indiana Department of Transportation cards that said exactly the width of the right-of-way per road. So we put that through the council member on our, on our task force's uh, channels, and he was able to get that done. And we opened up an investment there of about a million dollars for a small company. And um, one point to make there, there are going to be, this is a long road to accomplish this for a, for a county. It took us about three years to really make great progress. I think others are going to be ahead of us because we, we were the first to be broadband ready and the first to pass an infrastructure development zone. We really felt like a guinea pig in a lot of ways. So, so communities listening, you, you are way ahead of where we were when we started. But I think the point is celebrate every success, no matter how small because each and every one of those successes are a big deal. And what you want to do is send that message of, of, uh, uh, to your community that, think, that hope is on the horizon, to your providers that there's an interest in this area. And, and so bring in the, you know, the press. And you know, we celebrated our first uh, success with the lieutenant governor. We invited her down and she graciously accepted. And she is a huge advocate of rural broadband. I can tell you that personally, I've seen it. And, and so please reach out to me if there's an opportunity to celebrate anything that you've accomplished. I want to be there and, and I want to do what I can to help. 
Okay, so I thought this was very interesting. So this was the sixth point, but but broadband scholarships for families. Um, what what is that? Well, we, you know, this is something that we did not. It was not on our radar in my prior role, but in in my new role, I, I realize now that it is is critically important up front for communities to be aware of this. We were able to secure some significant investment, and we were so happy. We just were dancing, uh, but shortly thereafter what we realized and actually the provider pointed it out to us he said you have a 52 percent free and reduced lunch population we are going to provide service to 7,000 of those of homes 52 percent of those are free and reduced we have a problem what if they can't afford a 55 dollar a month broadband connection in this case it was going to be 50 megabytes down and 50 megabytes up symmetrical fiber to the home what if they can't afford the $55? I don't know what my face looked like at that point, but I think I went numb because it, was, it scared me big time. Um, because at the end of the day, we, we worked so hard over two, three years to attract this investment. We can put it in the ground, we can fund it, we can get it to the home, but if the family living in that home doesn't adopt it and utilize it, it is a complete waste initially. And so, we went to work and we and, and the provider asked us for help. We offered to help and, they, and, and he said, well, how can you help me increase adoption because and, and affordability? And so we, we brought our community foundation into a meeting. They were already on our task force and been engaged for the first few years. We brought the school corporation in and the provider and our task force, a couple members and said, how can we fix this? And quickly the community foundation said, well, what if we put in 50,000 and identified families to provide scholarships to. We have a, a scholarship program through the community foundation and the schools for pre-K. And they, they said, we've done this before with a similar model. This is just a different issue, but it supports that exact same population, quite frankly, those pre-K, you know, low-income pre-K participants. And, and so the, the school said, well, yeah, we could, we could select the families based on the most need through an application process. And the provider said, yeah, we could, we could administer those funds that would offset half the cost of that broadband connection. And so that was underway when I left. And, and I know uh, uh, some folks down in Huntingburg are also looking at that as well. And, and so just a creative thing that, that you can do. And, and it all stemmed from the provider relationship. It was not on our radar. It completely blindsided me. Uh, and, and so when they brought that to our attention, you know, we reacted in a creative way. And, and that was very helpful. And, and when the provider sees that, you know, there's so much risk in these investments. Quite frankly, the, 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 the massive investment that is going into these rural areas is probably going to benefit the community more than the investor. And as economic development people, that is a very unusual thing. When the community actually benefits more than the investor, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, there's been some great Purdue studies coming out uh, on, on the, the value of those investments and the four to one return on investment in broadband. But, but it's real, you know, what, the, the value of one family to a local community is much greater than people think. It's the, the tax collections, the jobs, the workforce, the school uh, enrollment that, that can come from that. And then you spread, and then the indirect spending, right? The spending of that family through the community over 10 years, you know, one family is critically important to a small rural community. So we're losing families all the time because of no broadband access. Ask any realtor, uh, and, and you have a big advocate on broadband and, and a realtor in your community if you have poor broadband access because they're losing thousands of dollars a year on, on uh, not being able to sell homes. 
So I'm sure that our, the last point here has probably been a thread through many of the things that you've talked about. But just to finish up, this is the seventh with digital readiness and adoption. So, again, like affordability, if, if, if you are able to secure an investment, that is predicated on, in many cases, the rate of adoption in your community. And, you know, one thing that a task force can do that is extremely helpful is really talk and communicate and spread news about any potential investment throughout the community. And this is a grassroots approach. It's a friends, family, neighbors, coworker kind of approach where we talk about as a community the importance of this, but also that something could happen if we all come together and start communicating our needs in a coordinated fashion to providers. Yeah, so is it, so I'm guessing that it's, and, and what little I know about this, I'm guessing it's very important when you're talking to a p potential uh, provider to be able to have some way of talking about here's here's what we think the, the projected adoption rate is going to be or here's why we think it's going to be. So I think if you have, for example, that scholarship program in place, if you have done something, I think I've heard of communities, for example, who actually uh, would go to the school and talk with parents and get like almost pledge cards <laughs> as a way of being able to go back to uh, a, a provider and saying, okay, here are the people. We have a scholarship program and here are people who said if, if you brought it to them, they would adopt. And so I'm guessing that that's part of being able to tell the community story. That's exactly right. And, you know, you look at some populations that might be at risk for not ado adopting, and that's you know, I mentioned the grandparent example before. It is seniors, you know, and <clears throat> something creative that I've been thinking about lately is how to encourage communities to tell their, their broadband adoption story and digital liter literacy stories. And these are stories, my, my story is, uh, you know, had an 86-year-old grandparent who lost his wife of 60 years suddenly, and he was lost, right? He was at home alone. Uh, it didn't it was really confused about uh, about things and and we put a, a computer on in front of him for the first time ever in his life and he had never been able to select the music he listened to uh, since the eight track was out right that's the last time I remember him putting in a George Jones eight track in his 1979 Ford and you know that was the last time he was able to select music uh, we asked him you know, Bill, what do you what do you want to what do you want to listen to? What's your favorite song? And he said, "Oh, some George Jones song." And the look on his face when George Jones appeared on stage in front of him playing that song was priceless. And so, how do we, you know, and, and quite frankly, it helped him connect and live a healthier life. The last days of his life, he was able to connect with family on the East Coast, West Coast, and you know. So, how do we tell that story in a way that encourages? you know, your neighbors and friends and family to, to really stand up this, this uh, and increase the adoption rates in your community among people who may not adopt otherwise. It, it really is a community effort that's needed to overcome some of these barriers to investment. So I think we're pretty close to wrapping up. So I think the, the, the critical question now is, uh, as people are listening to this, um, uh, and they feel that they want to engage your office, so they want to know how they can uh, adopt, tie into some of the initiatives that the state is involved in, what do they do? Well, I prefer that you call my cell phone or text me. And if there's an issue, if there's something I can help with, Lee has my cell phone number. Um, if there's, you know, I particularly, one of the things I love about this job is 
solving problems and hearing about challenges that are happening because we can fix those things but i've got to know about it and we've got to work together to to make that work and so i encourage you if you run into a a, an issue just pick up the phone and call me and and we'll talk it through and i'll come i'll come visit uh i've hit most of the state i I know i've got some more places to hit that i want to get to Uh, but yeah pick up the phone and call another way to get a hold of me is email obviously Uh, i have a new website www.in.gov backslash rural broadband say again rural it's in.gov backslash rural broadband and if you go there you'll find some resources such as the mapping tools that are available in your community to identify providers and where service is and where service isn't uh, as well as some other resources such as sample ordinances and things on the infrastructure development zone so call me email me go to go to my website uh, I think I'll see you everywhere. I know I see several of you uh, weekly, it seems like. And so don't hesitate to come up and introduce yourself if we haven't met yet. I'd, I'd love to talk to you and connect you with you about how the state can help you accomplish your goals. Scott, I appreciate your time. We've been talking today to uh, Scott Rudd, who is the Director of Broadband Opportunities with the Office of Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. Scott, thanks for your time. Thank you on behalf of Lieutenant Governor and myself, and look forward to hearing from you again. All right, thanks. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast was powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. Learn more about IMPA by visiting their website at impa.com and be sure to follow them on social media to stay in the know. This podcast is copyrighted 2019 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to the content.